Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, listeners. This episode is sponsored by italki. If you're looking for a one-to-one teacher to give you speaking practice and to work on various different aspects of your English so that you can emerge with a particular set of skills in the English language, in being able to communicate, if you want to prepare for the IELTS test, for example, why not get a one-to-one teacher on italki? It's very, very simple to do. Loads of teachers to choose from. It's a great platform. Millions of people are using it to learn languages around the world. And when you buy some talking time, because you listen to this podcast, they will send you a voucher for a free lesson. To get more information and to sign up, just go to teacherluke.co.uk slash talk or click an italki logo on my website. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, folks. Welcome back to the podcast. I hope you're fine. Whatever you're doing at this moment, wherever you are in the world, and whatever time of day you've chosen to listen to this new episode of my podcast for learners of English. If you're listening while watching on YouTube, don't forget to like and subscribe to my channel so that you don't miss a new episode. Also, you could consider turning on the automatic subtitles on YouTube, as you will find that they're about 95% correct most of the time. And if you listen in any other way, I hope this podcast finds you in good form and happy to receive another episode. Today I'm talking to Keith O'Hare, who's an English teacher specialising in helping people prepare to take the IELTS test, specifically the speaking part. Keith got in touch with me a while ago to invite me onto one of his videos. I mentioned it uh, on the podcast recently. One of the things Keith likes to do is invite native speakers onto his YouTube channel to take an IELTS speaking exam and then give feedback on their performance at the end. This is great for learners of English because you can observe how a native speaker deals with all the tasks and you can pick up loads of nice bits of English in the process. It's also a good way to get strategies for dealing with each part of the test. So Keith had heard of my podcast and he wanted to record me doing an IELTS speaking test. So we did that in December. You can see me doing the test by watching the video, which will be embedded on the page for this episode on my website and maybe in the show notes in your app as well. Uh, We had a nice little chat afterwards about teaching English and I thought it might be interesting to invite him onto my podcast to talk about IELTS speaking tips, his teaching career, any good advice he has for learning English and any stories of good and bad students he's had over the years. So this is mainly about the IELTS test with some general English chat as well. Now, IELTS is a huge thing in the world of learning English. That's IELTS, the International English Language Testing System. It's basically a a test which is used by companies uh, and universities and things like uh, visa application organisations, departments for assessing someone's level of English. 
Anyone who plans to travel and use their English at work or just get a visa or something will probably come across IELTS at some point. I know that a lot of my listeners are interested in IELTS, but even if you're not, if you're not interested in IELTS, uh, the kinds of speaking skills and strategies that will help in IELTS can also be applied to the learning of English in general. And certainly you will find in this conversation lots of stuff about the right approach to producing spoken English discourse in test conditions and to learning English in general. As we go through the episode, I give Keith an IELTS speaking test himself so we can see how he gets on. Again, if you want to see me doing the IELTS speaking test in one of Keith's videos, check out the page for this episode on my website. But now, without any further ado, let's meet Keith O'Hare. Hello, Keith. Hi, Luke. Hi, nice to see you or to hear you. Yes, nice to speak to you. Uh, That's the one. How, how are you today? I'm great today, thank you. Very, very well. It's a bit um, breezy and cold over here, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I'm good. Whereabouts are you at the moment? So I live in Santander, which is a little um, town in the north of Spain. It's right on the coast, so we're getting um, the winds of a, a slight kind of hurricane coming over the next few days. Oh, really? It's going to be very, very windy there. It is indeed. So windows closed today, so you can hear me properly. Yeah, actually, we've got a bit of wind up here too in Paris, so similar situation, windows closed. Button down the hatches. Is that the right word, button down or batten down the hatches? I I assume it's button, is it? Button down, although hatches don't have buttons, do they? No, they don't really. <laughs> batten, yeah, B-A-T-T-E-N, batten down the hatches, uh, listeners. There you go. There's a little idiom there right at the beginning. To batten down the hatches basically is when, yeah, like, for example, when there's a storm coming in, you might batten down the hatches, literally meaning sort of uh, put all the covers over the windows and prepare for trouble or prepare for a storm or something like that. So anyway, bat- we're, we're battening down the hatches here in Europe. So, so you live in Spain. That's uh, right. Ha- have you been li- living there long? Um, I've been, well, it's a bit of a long story, but the short story is I've been here for the last two years. So I moved here in about 2017. Um, The medium length story is that I used to live in Spain when I was younger. I spent most of my 20s in Spain, actually. Right, I see. In the same area? No, different area. When I was younger, I was in Madrid, the capital, which was a great bustling city. I mean, I really enjoyed living in Madrid. But now I'm kind of in the retirement city, as maybe as I'm slightly older. <laughs> yeah. Pace of life has slowed down a bit and it's a, a quieter city. Okay. And uh, so where are you from originally, though? Well, believe it or not, um, I'm from Manchester in mm. England. Yeah, well, you don't really have the accent. I don't. I don't. I was listening to Liam Gallagher the other day, one <laughs> of the famous Oasis brothers. Yeah. And, and I realised how different I sound from him. Uh, yeah, totally different accent. But yes. does, I mean, do, does everyone in Manchester sound like Liam Gallagher? Does everyone like going around like, like oh, mad for it, mad for it, me? Oh, yeah. is, that, <laughs> is that Liam Gallagher or, or um, someone else? There's a lot of people in Manchester, actually, or Manchester, as they say. Yeah, Manchester. Manchester. Yeah. So do, um, do lots of people actually speak like that in Manchester? They do. I've got lots of neighbours who speak like that. Same from Manchester. They've got this interesting kind of almost R sound that is slightly mm. rolled. Sl- yeah. A bit like Spanish, you know. I'm from Manchester. It's actually like Scouse as well. So there's the, the Scousers yeah. do that. I think it's called a rotic flap. 
Ah, there you go. I'm not sure they'd be happy if you told. Oh, nice rotic flap. Excuse me. It's not the sort of thing that uh, you'd say, but um, they wouldn't. They might think you're talking about their cap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But, uh, but that uh, that sort of not a full rotic R, just one single. Yeah, um, the flap. Flap. Yeah. So it comes through in like what? What was the word you said that your neighbour said? Uh, I'm from Manchester. I'm from, I'm from Manchester. From, from Manchester. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It sounds a bit yeah. like Scouse as well. So it you does, don't. It's got it, that intonation. Yeah, that sort of. Oh, I'm from Manchester. So you you're from Manchester. You don't have the accent. So uh, how come? I mean, does everyone who yeah. live in Manchester have a Mancunian accent or no? Not? No, they don't. So I, I guess um, not everybody has a Mancunian accent, but we all have the Northern accent. Mm-hmm. So you know, I've got the same flat. A sound, you yeah. Know, instead, I don't say fast; I say fast. Right. Um, podcast. I, pod podcast. Right. Right. Exactly. So I've got the flat a, the kind of the long i. Um, mm. So I've got and the the but instead of but it's yeah. a but but, but. Cut. Yeah. So I, we've all got the kind of northern um, vowel sounds, if you like. Um, but I guess I don't know. I was brought up in Oldham and. I went also to a grammar school. So in that school, there were kids from all over the country, not just from Oldham. So some of my mates were actually not from Manchester at all. And I guess it was just a mix of different accents. And and then I've travelled around the world for the last 20 years or so. And I think I've just um, lost the accent because I'm not surrounded by it all the time. You sounded a bit Mancunian. I've travelled around the world. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying my best. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounded more like Ringo when I did it. I've travelled <laughs> yes. around the world. Um, uh, mm. Okay, now one more question before I start talking to you about IELTS. And that yeah. is, um, how long have you been teaching? Oh, that's a great question. Seriously, I, was, I, was, it's, I think I started in 1992. Um, so having left university and I traveled around a bit and uh, did a few bits and bobs, I then started teaching around 92 or 93. So over 20 years, although I've done different jobs in the meantime, kind of educational management, but yeah, a long time. It's nearly 30 years. My God. Um, so what I'm going to do is like sort of flash forward from the beginning of your career up to the present day. And at the moment you uh, have got a YouTube channel which is called IELTS Speaking Success. So you've kind of switched into becoming uh, an online IELTS teacher. Is that right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's what I do. Yeah. So IELTS training. Could you just tell us a little bit more? I mean, what first of all, what is IELTS? Okay. First of all, IELTS is the well. It's an acronym that stands for the International English Language Testing System, mm-hmm. and it's a it's an exam that tests your ability of English communication, kind of in speaking and writing. And it's a very popular exam with the universities around the world because when universities want to accept foreign students from other countries, they they need to know that their English is good enough so that they can study well. And so many universities will ask candidates. Oh, that was a very Manchester ask. Ask ask candidates. Um, to take the IELTS test and you know by and large you it depends but anything from a six to a seven is what you would need from it to get into most universities what does that mean a six or seven in other words in other words <laughs> question in other words like. in other words so the a, a band six may be like a intermediate level um something around maybe a b2 
I'm yeah. going to throw more acronyms at you. I mean, you know the CEFR probably. Yes. But the the, the levels of, of language. So basically, IELTS has from a, a band zero, where you don't say anything in English, mm-hmm. to a band nine, which would be proficient level okay like native speaker for example so when you invited me onto your youtube channel to do the speaking test do you reckon i got a nine i think you did despite your rambling lovely rambling i think you did get a nine okay so it's possible i wonder if i took the entire test including all the writing all of the reading and listening uh, things i wonder if i'd get a hundred percent have you ever done that have you ever done the whole test yourself I've done I've done speaking. Um I've never done the writing, but I have seen in the world of YouTube quite a few native speakers who've done the writing mm-hmm. and, and not got a nine. Some have got sevens or eights. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah I'm sure. Yeah, because quite, it, yeah. it's it's very academic writing. You need to know the technique and the style and you need to understand the criteria that they're looking for as right, well. Right, right. Can I just ask you, do you think that IELTS is a reliable test? Does it really sort of show one's level of English accurately. Yes. Uh-huh. And I say that because I, I've, I've been involved in the research projects around IELTS. Mm. I mean, there's a huge amount of money invested in research um, to make sure that it is reliable and it's a valid test. Um, so, I mean, you know, Cambridge Assessment, that, who, who creates the test, they're, they're probably one of the leading assessment organisations in the world. Um and they know what they're doing. And I think it does give a very reliable score. Now, there's always going to be situations with reliability, right? So, I mean, mm. one day you do the test, the next day you've got a headache, or the next day you're in a different room, or the next day it's a different time of day, you're a slightly different person. Mm-hmm. Um, there are always going to be small changes. But, but I think overall it's a, an incredibly reliable test. And, and that's why one of the reasons all of the universities – or so many of them around the world, and immigration organisations will accept it because it is so reliable. Um, how is it so reliable? I mean, could you comment on the design of the test and sort of the way it works? Well, for the speaking test, which is where mostly where I focus, is that they they do research on – so they're looking for – you've got prompts and answers. Mm. So you need a certain prompt to produce a certain kind of language. Uh-huh. And so there's research on, on what kind of prompt will, will give a certain kind of answer and language. Mm. And then they have banks and banks of questions that they trial. So every single question goes through a trial process to see what the results are mm. and then to collate the, the results to make sure there is that level of reliability. So if a certain question is giving um, different scores from the same person in the trials yeah. and there's something wrong with the question. And so they're rigorously, you know, rigorously tested and trialed before they come into the official bank, if you like the question list. Right. Um, and then there is ongoing research, which is not only done by Cambridge, but by others on the impact of the test um, around all sorts of things around the student experience, around the design of the test you know, with speaking, as having an interview where I ask you questions mm. is different from the Cambridge, um, the Cambridge suite, like the first certificate where they have a picture and mm. you discuss it with a with a, another test taker. So they produce different things, um, but obviously for IELTS they've chosen this path because it 
gets what they want to achieve i think i see so they have a kind of list of questions certainly for parts one maybe part three and um mm-hmm. they kind of read the questions off their list to you one of the comments that um uh, came up on the video that uh, you did with me you know the the test video yeah. someone wrote that they thought that the kind of that part one the question and answer section seemed a bit unnatural and a bit yes. a, a bit awkward and weird like in in when you were asking me certain questions um you, you know do you think there's a tendency for these kinds of lists of questions to to create slightly unnatural conversations yes they do yeah um so and i guess that the the thing to notice is that what IELTS tries to measure is your ability to produce English, mm. to produce certain English communication. It's not a test of your ability to interact in a conversation. Right. So it doesn't test your ability to to ask questions, to to listen to somebody and and build on their questions. It's just production of language. Okay. Um, and so that's why a lot of the questions they do in part one, you get some weird questions, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. what I asked you out of the blue, do you enjoy looking at the sky? Yeah, you did. Yeah, No one's ever, <laughs> no one's ever asked me that before. Do you enjoy but you gave such a sky? natural answer, actually. Yeah, well, you've got to. So that brings me on to my next question, actually, the natural answer thing. When people are going into their IELTS speaking test, do you think they should just sort of relax and just sort of be themselves and just take the, the questions as they come and just act, uh, answer them in a totally spontaneous way? Or should people go into the test with a different sort of mindset? I, I think the first one, I think absolutely right. I think they need to relax. I, I think nerves play a huge part in, in the, the IELTS test. People get really nervous and it affects their performance. Um, to relax as much as you possibly can and to speak as naturally as you can. I mean, definitely to go with the flow when you can. My emphasis is when I'm teaching students is to say in the practice, so in the the month or two months before when you're preparing, you may want to look at structures, um, some kind of templates to help support you Mm. and things that you can say and and ideas you can talk about. And you do all of that in your practice. It's a bit like going down the gym and you do 10 sets of the barbell, you do 20 push-ups, you do 10 sit-ups. But then when you go out onto a football pitch, you're, you're just, you're flowing, you're going with the flow or whatever sport you're doing. The kind of the preparation is mechanical mm-hmm. in many respects, mm-hmm. but then the performance is to, f- to go with the flow as much as you can. And I think the reason is because if you start thinking about, oh, what's the correct structure? Mm-hmm. Should am I using the present perfect here? Shall I, what should I do now? You're going to block and get more nervous. Totally, which um, is certainly true in just normal situations too, that you can't really just sort of process language actively like that while you're trying to use it. You have to just try and go with the flow. Um, do you think that yeah. the, the, the kinds of tasks you have to do in IELTS speaking, do they reflect kind of real life tasks? Do you feel like if someone is good at doing IELTS that they'll just be good in the real world too? They'll be, hmm, that's a difficult question. They'll be good at producing language. Um, They will not necessarily be able to ask good questions, but they'll be able to produce language. I reckon that there is a sort of, um, while it's absolutely true that you've got to just relax and be yourself, I think there's a sort of um, strategic approach that you can have, right? Where you, 
you know, like you're not thinking about the grammar, you're not thinking about it from the sort of bottom up, but you're kind of got an overall approach to right. So this is what they expect from part one. This is what I have to do in part two, and this is yeah. the kind of thing that I, I'm expected to do in part three. And so you, you've got to know exactly what the test is demanding and just try and give it what it wants while also being yourself. Yes, uh, complicated, isn't it? Um, it is a bit, yeah. But, so, yeah. so IELTS, right? Uh, speaking, uh, listening, reading, and writing. Okay, four parts. Let's just mm. focus on the speaking part because this is what you focus on in your videos. And uh, I like the speaking part anyway. I think it's just enjoyable, and you know, dealing with speaking is always fun in the classroom. How many parts are there in the speaking uh, test? There are three parts. Okay, and how long does the how long is the entire thing? The entire test takes between 11 and 14 minutes. Okay, not very long, really. Mm. Can you tell it? Can we go through each part of the test? We'll mm, just kind of yeah. go through each bit and we'll talk about what happens and maybe talk about some do's and don'ts for each part. Um, yeah, absolutely. You did, as we've established already, you did um, interview me on your uh, YouTube channel and did a test with me. So, listeners, you can see the test. I'll embed it on the page for this episode on the website. You can also see it on Keith's um, YouTube channel, which is called IELTS Speaking Success. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, there's an example of that. We might have time to go through that at the end as we kind of come back to the subject of IELTS later, possibly, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. So, um, can you tell us a little bit about part one? Sure. So, part one. Well, when you go into the room and you sit down, um, oh, just to note as well, the Mm. the exam is recorded as well. And that unnerves a few people. But, you know, the examiner will start recording device at the beginning. Mm. Um, Part one, you hand over your ID, your passport. They ask you your name. And then they ask you kind of a warm-up question, normally about um, what you do. Do you work or are you a student? Or ask you about your hometown or your house or your flat where you live. And it's literally a couple of questions just to warm up, really, so mm. that you can get used to their voice and they can get used to your voice. Okay. Um, and then part one has kind of a first topic and a second topic. Usually there's only two topics yeah. with maybe three questions on each. Um, and they're just the, – the key to part one really is to um, talk about yourself. It's your personal experience, right? Mm. So – if they're asking about, for example, your question about do you often look at the sky, you wouldn't say, well, looking at the sky is really important for the advancement of humanity because we need to explore space. Right. You would say, yes, I look at the sky quite a lot because I've got a telescope. I got it last week as a birthday present. It's personal yeah. and it's your own experience. And that's really important in part one. Okay. So part one is all about you, listeners. It's Yes, test, it's all about you. Test, sub, test subjects, <clears throat> examinees. Um, okay. All right. Any, t- any specific sort of things that people shouldn't do or things that people often do that they shouldn't? I think part one is, is keep your answers fairly short. You know, I mean, part one will last about maybe four minutes. And so the examiner is going to ask about three questions on each topic. Mm-hmm. So you've only got like 20 seconds or 30 seconds. So three three or maybe four sentences, keep it short. And that's also good because if you keep it short, you're less likely to make lots of mistakes. If you start going on and on and on, you're more likely to just uh, start rambling and start making more grammatical mistakes. So just keep it short and sweet in part one. Right. Okay. 
Uh, you know what I'd like to do is actually kind of do a little part one with you now. So I've got some some questions that I found online. God knows where I found. Are them. Are you getting your own back? Here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to I'm going to do this IELTS speaking test with you now. Um, but we're going to break it up. So we'll do part one, then we'll talk about uh, part two, then we'll do part two, and so on. Okay. Cool. So cool. where did I get these? I don't know where I got these from. I'll be honest. Was it my website? No, uh, <laughs> no. But you can get stuff on your website, right? You can. You get, you know, the, the latest questions. You get lots of resources there. Yeah, yes. yeah. You published, like, the latest um, IELTS questions recently, 2020 IELTS speaking. Uh, anyway, I, I've got some stuff here that I found. Okay, so it. let's imagine that we're in a room and you've just come in. <laughs> and you come in and, and uh, I'll say, there you go, take a seat. And then, oh, thank I, you. And then I'll say, uh, can I have your mark? Is it, can I have your marking sheet, please? Um, Don't they say you that? You probably ask me for my ID. You say, can I have your ID, please? Sorry, can I, can I see some ID, please? <laughs> yes, very police-like. <laughs> exactly. not, can I have your, not can I have your ID, but can I see some identification, please? Yes, here you go. Here's my passport. Thank you. Let me just confirm <clears throat> that you are the, the gentleman in the picture. Mm-hmm. Interesting, uh, like me? interesting passport photo you've got there, sir. <laughs> Um, oh, I took it 10 years ago. It really mm, is me. Certainly an interesting story, sir. Anyway, there you go. Thank you. Here's your passport. Thank you. Right. So my name's Luke Thompson. This is my colleague, uh, Dave. No, you're on your own. Oh, I'm on my own, am I? You are. So yeah. my name's Luke Thompson. Hello. I'll be your examiner. <laughs> we're going to start. We're going to kick off this uh, IELTS speaking test. They, would they use language like that? We're they gonna- might do. They, they probably say start actually because they want to keep it as simple as possible. Right. So no kind of flowery, no, no, none no of that flowers. language of like. Okay, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna crack on with the test now, uh, Keith. No, no, they no. wouldn't do that. Not in the test. Okay. No. So right, let's let's start then. Okay. So yes. let's talk about your hometown or village. So um, what kind of place is your hometown? Well, I come from Manchester, um, and traditionally it's quite a industrial city. But it has changed a lot in the last 10 years. Um, a lot more people are living in the centre and it's become a much more touristic kind of city. Okay. What's the most interesting part of Manchester for you? For me, I think it's the new uh, GMX exhibition centre that they built several years ago because it now attracts lots of bands and singers and celebrities to come, um, as well as it's been used for conferences um, during the daytime and the weekends for businesses. So it's a kind of a a big attraction, I think, for the, the Mancunians. Okay. Would you say that Manchester's a, a good place to live? Um, by and large, yes. I mean, the, the weather's not great. You know, it's, it's one of the wettest cities in the country, but the people are pretty friendly. There's lots to do there. They've got a real kind of um, active bustling city centre, lots of modern shops and restaurants. So, yeah, I think it's a nice place to live. Okay. Let's let's move on to talk about accommodation. Uh, tell me about the kind of accommodation that you live in. Um, well, I live in a, a flat in Santander. We live on the sixth floor. Um, it's not too big a place, but it's been recently renovated. So it's got – it's all nice and clean um, – We've got quite a few things, decorations around the flat, but I, you know, I do need to put up some more. 
Mm. Um, it's cozy. It's a really comfy place. How long have you lived there? How sorry? How long have you lived there? Um, so we, we've, as, as I mentioned, we've been here for two years now, and mm. I, yeah, I like it. Okay, thank you. Right, so that's the end of part one. Um, okay, that's the end of the introduction bit of part one. That's yes. the end of the introduction bits bit. So there would be what maybe two more minutes. There'd be maybe two more minutes. Uh, no, there'd be longer. There'd be really? maybe three more minutes on on two more topics. Two more topics as well after that. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I'm going to ask you to examine yourself now. How do you think you did? Yeah. <laughs> in part one there. Um, I, I think I did okay. I think you what did do all you right. think, listeners? Yeah. What do you think? Listeners, I think you'll probably agree that Keith did uh, brilliantly, of course. And uh, the, the answers were, the, 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 all of your answers uh, were relevant to the questions. Which is a, a I think so a, a point that so. needs to be mentioned because um, in my experience of teaching arts, I've seen people kind of go off on one about something else, even though it's not related to the question. You've always got to try and answer the yeah, question. That's um, very very true. Not, they were fairly short, right? My answer. Yeah, they 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 short. they had some content to them, but they weren't too long. You didn't go on and on, and um, yeah, sort of you kept it short and sweet, but some nice descriptive language in there as well. Like you know, described the centre of Manchester as bustling and. Stuff like that. So, right, yeah, nice one. Uh, nice, yeah, good. Let's talk about part two then. So you've you've got part one out of the way, which now you've kind of warmed up a bit. What happens in part two? Okay, so in the next part, so the the warm up bit, the introduction is actually a part of part one. There, there'd then be two more topics like. Um, Look, do you look at the sky or do you like wearing jeans? There'd be questions very similar to what you've just done. Yeah, for part one. And then moves on to part two. And part two is what they call the long turn, okay. which is where you're given a task card yeah, and with some bullet points and you have to describe something. You describe probably a person or a place or something that happened to you. Yeah. Okay. All right then. Um, and so with that, you're, you're given one to two minutes. You're given a minute. You'll remember this. You're given a minute to prepare and then you have to speak for one to two minutes on that topic. Okay. A minute to prepare, and then you can speak for one to two minutes on that topic. I see. Okay. So what do, what do people chat usually... box is... Yeah, Ooh, I've, just, I've just sent something to your chat box. But uh, before right. we look at that, tell me about what are some of the things that people do wrong in part two. How do you lose points in part two? Right. How do you lose points in part two? Yeah. Um, well, the first mistake I think a lot of people make is is they don't prepare. They don't make use of the one minute. They just launch straight into talking about something. Mm. Um, and I think using the one minute to prepare is really useful because it can help you at least get your ideas. Um, I usually tell people get you know three main blocks you want to talk about, um, whether mm. it's who it is, what happened, or where. And just write that down, write down who, what, where, just write it down so that when you're speaking, you just need to look at that and you've already got some structure to mm, it. Mm. Otherwise, you've really got to think on your feet. And the danger there, which happened a little bit with yourself, is you start going off on a tangent mm -hmm. and forgetting a bit what the question is about. Yeah. Um, and so it's really important you kind of have some kind of structure. Okay. That said, I'm yeah. going to add one more. The biggest thing I see, and this happened to me a lot in Asian countries, um, although it may be in other countries, is candidates memorizing like yeah. whole 
big answers, like the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and you'll get marked down for that um, because the examiner knows that it's memorized. So they'll cut you off after a minute mm. and your range of vocab and range of grammar will go down because it's memorized. Right. I see. I see. Yeah. So don't memorize. I mean, how could you expect to memorize the right thing anyway? It sounds like a terrible well, idea. Some people do. Some people will memorize like the 50 questions and have a, a kind of a, an answer ready for each one. Yeah. But it's very important that you answer the question specifically. Yes. Isn't it, isn't it true yes. that in, for example, in part two, you're given a task card and it gives you a little task and it, sa- it says, you should say, and then it gives yeah. you like three bullet points. Yeah. And it's true, isn't it, that the examiners are looking for specific references to those three things, isn't it? Not no. exactly. That's, no. That's true in, for example, uh, Cambridge FCE or CAE writing, where you have to right. make reference to points in the task. But they, so that you should so, say thing, you, they can choose to say those or, or not. Correct. So I'll just make a big difference. Uh, there's a big, big difference in, from the writing and the speaking. Yeah. Because in the writing, it is absolutely true that you must cover every bullet point in the writing. Right. In the speaking, that's not true. You do not have to cover the bullet point. There is no task achievement mark in mm. speaking. Mm. Most of the examiners don't actually know what the bullet points are. They're not looking at them. Yeah. Um, they're just focusing on the top line, the describe, blah, 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 to make sure you're on topic. The bullet points are actually really useful, right, as a guide. Yes. But you do not have to include all of them. I see. So what's the main thing? Is it to just keep on trucking, keep on talking for the one or two minutes until the examiner says thank you? Or are you supposed to round it all off at the end with some sort of conclusion? To be honest, either way is fine. Um, so long as you're – so this is your chance to show your fluency over a long term. So also what the examiner's doing is they're sitting back because they don't have to think about the next question. Yeah. And they're focusing on can you speak fluently? Can you keep your pronunciation, intonation over longer sentences? Yeah. Can you build complex sentences, you know, make them longer? Mm. And so so long as you're doing that and keeping your coherence and fluency so there is some sense of logic there and you're on topic – it's fine if after two minutes you're still rambling on or no, you're still talking. Yeah. The examiner will just interrupt you and say, thank you very much. We'll now go on to part three. Um, if you finish after one minute 30, you could do a nice conclusion. That's great. Yeah. If you don't, you just say, that's it. Okay. And the examiner will ask you a follow-up question mm. and you give a very short answer to that. Okay. All right. So, let me put you to the test again, and we'll have part two, the individual long term now. Um, right. So I'm now, let's imagine I'm now giving you your candidate task card. Here, so can I click? Can yes, I click you can now look in the, in, the, uh, in the chat box. Here's your candidate task card. It asks you to describe something you own, which is very important to you. And you should slash could say where you got it from, how long you've had it and what you use it for and explain why it is important to you. So you'll have uh, to talk about the topic for one to two minutes and you have one minute to think about what you're going to say. You can make some notes if you wish. So let's imagine, listeners, I'm going to give Keith his one minute, but I'll probably edit that out um, in the editing suite later. Right. So you've got one minute. Yeah. Okay. 
the examiner probably wouldn't whistle in an irritating, <laughs> impatient, la, 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 using the whole minute. Come on. Come oh, on. God, I can't believe these people who need to prepare themselves, really. Can't you just speak for two minutes? Honestly, it's just unbelievable. <laughs> I cannot focus at all. <laughs> sorry. sorry. <laughs> uh, no worries. I, I, I think I've got I've got an idea. Um, yeah. yeah, I've got an idea, and I think I know what I'm going to say because I've got my what, where, and why. Those are going to be my three things. Ooh, what, where, and why? Okay. Yeah. All right. So your one minute is up. Um, it's over to you. You can talk for one to two minutes. And when I'm, uh, yeah, I'll just interrupt you by saying thank you, which is quite sort of polite, polite and yet rude at the same time. Okay, so whenever you're yes. ready, go ahead. Great. So I'd like to tell you about my jazz guitar. My jazz guitar is a guitar that um, I bought, well, gosh, donkey's years. I mean, a long time ago. It was back in the 19... 19- 90s. Um, at that time, I was playing a lot of music. I was in a band and we used to play around some local pubs. And I had a really old falling to pieces guitar. So I decided to go and buy a new one. And I bought this nice, really nice guitar. I mean, I've still got it. And I'll tell you what it looks like, right? It's it's a um, a brown box, but it's got these kind of new modern fender pickups that give it a really nice vibrant and a rich sound. Mm. Um, the neck is longer than most jazz guitars. Um, not that it was custom built, but it's just a, quite a long neck. Um, and I can't remember how old it is. It wasn't brand new. It was quite one of these antique guitars. Um, and it looks really nice and it looks very professional, much more professional than I really am. <laughs> but it gives this really nice, smooth, ringing tone that gives you a kind of a warm jazz feeling. And so I really like it, and it's something that's important to me because I, even though I'm working a lot, I still like to play music, and it's also symbolic of the time when I was in a band, now that I'm not. Um, and so it's also a kind of souvenir and something that I take care of, I look after, and every now and again, I do go and tinker with it and have a little a little play on the guitar. And that, I think, is something I own, which is really important to me. Thank you. So um, is this guitar valuable in terms of money? It's not that valuable. It's probably worth maybe, I don't know, 300 euros or something like that. Okay. Um, right, thank you very much. So that was my little sort of rounding off question at the end nice. of your, your long turn. Um, well, uh, that was excellent. I thought the description of the guitar was fantastic and you used so much descriptive language to do that. And you kind of also, there was this sense that at the end you finished quite nicely by saying, and that is something which I own which, that's very important to me. Just kind of concluding yeah. by re-establishing what the uh, question is, what the task is. Very, very well done indeed. Thank you very much. It was quite hard, actually, when I started thinking about the the wood and I was trying to think, remember what kind of wood it was, whether it was mahogany or... And and at the same time, I'm thinking, oh, I should be using really rich vocabulary. But then I remembered that it doesn't matter that much. I can just describe it naturally. And the language came out, I think, came out okay. 
yeah, focus on the task and let the language come out as a consequence of really trying to specifically nail the task. Okay, let's move on to part three then. Can you tell us mm. about part three? So in part three, um, it takes the theme or the topic of part two mm. and goes on to ask maybe five or six more questions in depth. So the idea is that the examiner is digging deeper, that you want to be giving more ideas, going into more detail, developing your ideas, showing a richer amount of vocabulary. Um, And so, I mean, if a topic here, something which you own, probably part three will be talking about ownership, people owning things, owning properties. It may talk about consumerism, you know, do we own too many things? Do we buy too many things? Mm. It could branch out into globalization, but it, it's very wide reaching themes, but yeah. digging deeper. Okay. And they're often on abstract subjects, uh, unlike part one, which, as you said, is all yeah. about, it's all about you. So it's <laughs> so all personalized it, it, responses, but this yeah. one is where you're talking about abstract things. So big That's right. sort of um, subjects in the world and society and uh, the bigger picture. Exactly. It's much more abstract. It's much more, in, in many ways, it's more general, but you still, in order to develop your, ans- your answers, you still need to be giving examples. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I just knocked, right? over the, yeah, <laughs> I knocked over the <laughs> microphone. I don't think the, the listeners won't hear that. But, oh, they uh, won't hear that no. at all. No, uh, sure. That's all right. Um, um, so, yeah, developing, I think, with using examples to develop your um, your answers okay, uh, and is op- really important. And opinions. Too. Yes, opinions, justification, uh, evaluation. It's a bit like the, um, you know, what do they call them? The HOTS Hots, higher order thinking skills, uh-huh. or that kind of um, higher level of thinking. So you're 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 required really to evaluate, analyze, synthesize. So it's much more, yeah, higher order thinking. Yeah, I guess. this is where the the bigger points, the this is the higher level stuff. This is where yeah. you can get your sevens and eights and and six point yeah. fives potentially. Um, exactly. Any do's and don'ts then for part three. Um, do's and don'ts in part three. Um, so do I would, yeah, make sure you, you give longer answers. You know, I mean, if one question is a shorter answer, that's all right. But most of them, Hmm. you need to be maybe talking for a minute or so. Um, and yeah, develop. So typically think about you're giving your opinion, say why, give a reason and give an example. So opinion, reason, example, very simple rule of thumb that will probably get you through it'll help you okay um, and s- listen carefully to the questions because sometimes people are listening out for the key word you know like mm. um economy or consumerism yeah. and then they start talking about what they think it is or what they've memorized or what they've studied but just make sure that you've heard the question correctly and in part three if you don't catch it. Just you can ask the examiner to repeat and say, can you say that again? Yeah. And if you're not sure what it means in part three, you can say, what, what do you mean exactly? Can you explain that? Yeah. And they will paraphrase it for you. Will you be having a discussion with the examiner where you kind of disagree or trying to try to persuade the examiner if your point of view and things like that? You can disagree with the examiner. Absolutely. Um, Persuade them, I'm not sure, because it's not really a conversation. Yeah. It, it, it is a good point, because the examiner may say, you know, why is 
why are why is music so popular yeah in your country and and you'll say well actually i don't think it is popular in my country so you can absolutely disagree mm-hmm. with the examiner um but you've got to be always saying why what's the reason and then going into some depth or details about it okay right so shall we have a look at uh, part three then so this is the mm-hmm. little two-way discussion although it'll be mostly you talking how many minutes for this part uh, four to five minutes. Four to five minutes. I thought you said 45 minutes then for a second. No. Oh my God, that's a bit long, isn't it? It's like an episode <laughs> yes. of this podcast. Um, I know. Yeah. So, okay, here we go. Part three, as we move into the two-way discussion. So finally, let's talk about the role of advertising. Do you think that advertising influences what people buy? Oh, to some extent, yeah, but probably not directly. So I don't think you see an advertisement and then decide to go and buy that product straight away. But when you see an advertisement, if it's a good one, it sticks in your head um, and you'll probably see it several times um, and therefore you'll be recalling it. And then I personally think that when you, when the time comes to go and buy something, that advertisement pops into your head and you choose that particular brand. Um, that happened to me when I was looking for, um, a com- not a computer, a monitor that mm. I'd seen lots of Benk advertisements. I was searching on the internet mm. and Benk kept coming up, B-E-N-Q. Mm. Um, and I didn't buy at the time, but later when I went to buy it, that was the one that I chose. Okay, so maybe it's worked on you. It did, yeah. Mr. Gullible. <laughs> um, do you think that advertising like has a beneficial influence on people? Advertising, I think, can be a double-edged sword. I know that's a bit of a cliche, but I think it's true, right? Mm -hmm. That so many advertisements nowadays get in our way. They block us. You know, you want to read an article on a newspaper and this pop-up comes up and blocks the screen and starts trying to sell you something or tell you something you don't really want to see. Mm. So they can be quite intrusive and distracting. but at the same time, you know, I mean, take Amazon, for example. I, when I go onto Amazon, it comes up with recommendations for me, either things, similar things that similar people have bought or based on my browsing history, you, you may also like this. And that's really helpful. So I think it, it really does, it can, um, you know, the use of AI and algorithms to, to feed you information and adverts that may interest you sometimes does work. I think especially when you're in the buying mood, when you're about to buy something. Mm-hmm. Do you think that people shop more today than they used to? Wow, do we shop more today? I guess it depends on the country. If your economy is boosting, you probably are shopping more. Um, if you're talking about kind of going into brick and mortar shops, yeah, I think that, yes, we are still going into shops and buying things in shops but it's extended um, online as well. I don't know the percentages, but, you know, that a lot of people are buying online. Mm. Um, although people have reservations about security, it's a growing number. But my guess is most people shop in real stores at the moment. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, I was going to ask you, because uh, I've completely run out of questions that related to uh, an object you own. Uh, what, um, do you think that, uh, like people's possessions, 
are important to them, aren't they? Um, right. And they kind of give status to, to people. I was going to say, what kind of things give status to people in your country? What are the sort of objects that people are buying in order to give themselves status? Um, the number one is probably the car. Mm-hmm. I think people buy car as a status symbol to, to show off um, either their their love of the brand, because brands nowadays are kind of represent a lifestyle, don't they? So yeah. it, it shows off your lifestyle. Um, there's also houses are probably a symbol, status symbol. So not only the house, but the location. So mm-hmm. people will be very proud to say, um, I live in Cheadle, which is quite an upmarket part of Manchester. Um, and so that is, is can also be a status symbol for, for people. Um, and yeah, I think there are quite a lot of them. I mean, if you want to go into details as far as your pen, I mean, the other day I bought a pen and I noticed that you can, you can spend a thousand euros on a pen and it blew my mind. But then I realized, you know, people who are using those pens in business meetings for contracts for, for, for millions of pounds, it probably is important and is a status symbol that can make you stand out or build trust as well with potential clients. Yes. So there's a range of things, I think. Okay, thank you very much. That is the end of the test. Oh, thank you. What a relief. My God. <laughs> can I go uh, to the toilet now? Yeah, of course. Um, so, all right, obviously you did really, really well in part three. And um, I mean, I all I can say really is listeners that's exactly the sort of thing that they're looking for in an IELTS speaking test so I think a good example there from Keith and this is kind of what you do isn't it in your videos just tell us a little bit about the things that you do regularly in those videos on YouTube yeah well there's a variety of things but certainly one of them is is um is on the YouTube videos yes is that I I take a, a question some of the recent questions and give what people call a model answer, maybe it's a sample answer. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's, it's not a model that you want to copy, but it's a sample that gives you an idea of the structure. So you can see, and I try and break it down so that you can see, ah, there's the opinion, that there's the reason. And that's how he said the reason. You know, Did he say because, due to, that's why? Mm. And bring out the language um, so students can see that kind of language. Um and just raise awareness that it's it is about the language of fluency it's the vocabulary it's the grammar it's pronunciation so i do quite a bit of work on pronunciation connected speech in the videos it's like a little mini class in many ways and yeah. you can just sit there and watch and repeat with me um and and that's it that's one of the main kind of videos i do i mean i do tips videos as well how to improve your fluency how to improve your confidence Things like that, because those are other aspects of, as as you will know, of of language communication. It's not Mm. just the language, right? There's Mm. a lot more going on. Absolutely. Okay. And that's IELTS Speaking Success on YouTube. IELTS Speaking Success on YouTube. There's also IELTS Speaking Success on Facebook, um, where there are posts. And I actually teach there free every Tuesday and Thursday morning, 10 o'clock Spain time. Yeah. I do a lesson for about half an hour. And actually, that lesson tends to be I ask the viewers yeah. to ask me a question, right. just like what you did. Yeah. Um, and I try and improvise an answer. You mean, um, oh, okay, I see they are the examiners and they're asking you questions. You've got to answer them and they're just basically observing to see how it's done. Yeah, good. Yeah. good. It sounds like a good idea. 
Yeah. Uh, okay. So, all right. Now that we've kind of dealt with some IELTS stuff, we can spend a little bit of time just kind of getting to know you a little bit more, just maybe just a few minutes. Cool. Uh, because I asked you before um, by email, if you could think of some examples of like the best and worst students you've ever had. The reason I'm asking this is because I'm thinking, uh, here you are, Keith, you've been teaching for about 30 years and you've got lots of experiences and you know what makes a good student of English, a good learner of English and a bad learner of English. I mean, I'm going to ask right. you about your experience, experience as a teacher in the classroom. But yeah, can you just give us an example of the best and worst students you've ever had? This might be revealing in terms of the attitude that one needs in order to sort of learn English successfully. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the best students, I mean, I was thinking about this and there are some students excuse me, some students who come to mind yeah. um, and I, maybe I can kind of describe the traits that they have. Um, yeah. I, well, I'll, I'll give a shout out to one actually, who is, who is a recent student I, I was teaching called Victor um, over in Russia and he was great. And I, what made him such a good student was first of all, he was very, very focused. Mm. So he had a clear goal and motivation to learn English and he was dedicating hours or an hour or more every day to doing it yeah so he was working full time but he was carving out time to to do that to to make sure he was he was listening to english and studying english mm. what i liked about him was he was very proactive so when we were going through things um and let's say some piece of language came up um like i don't know um the a certain tense. I have been living here for 10 years. Okay. Um, and he would stop me and say, okay, so I have been living here. So I could say I have been living here for 20 years. I would say, yes. They go, okay. So could I also say I've been working in my job for 10 years? Yeah. And I would say, yes. And then he'd just start pushing the boundaries a bit and testing it and almost teaching himself. Yes. And suddenly he'd say, well, so I can say my sister has been working for 10 years. And he'd be practicing and he'd be drilling himself. Mm. Um, and that's brilliant because he's not only noticing, but he's proactively using and activating that um, chunk of language to get it hardwired up into his head. And I thought that was great. I thought that was really important. Yeah, that's a really good example. Okay, so yeah. Victor is um, yes. a good example. Shout out to Victor. Well yeah. done. Shout out to Victor. Nice one. Um, bad students? Well, yeah, <laughs> I should I shouldn't name names, should I? But this this was going back quite a few years. So Isabella, whoops, she uh -huh. won't mind. She won't mind. Um, it was, a, it was a, a student here in Spain, yeah. and there were several things that that were happening in the class that were were not working well. And I, although I'm going to be a bit critical now, I've got, I've got mm. to be self-critical because mm. some of the reasons that students don't do well is because the teacher's not doing the right thing with them. Right. But what was happening with Isabella is that she would be trying to say something like, you know, I want to go to the ayuntamiento. How do you say that? ¿Cómo se dice? And she'd say, how do you say that word in English? Hmm. And because I spoke her language, I would give her the word. Yeah. And she would say, ah, oh, right, good. And then carry on. Okay. But she wouldn't repeat the word. And she would just carry on and then say, yes. So then I needed to pick up my uh, documento. How do you say documento? And I would say document. And and she would then carry on. And I'd say, you know, try repeating the sentence. She goes, no, no, I've got it. I've got it. And then carry on. Mm. So what was happening is she wasn't 
first of all, she wasn't using the resource of language she had. She was continually looking to say things that she couldn't at her level yeah. rather than trying to activate language she had. But also then that when she got the language coming into her, she was not activating it. She was making no effort to internalize it. She was just mm. saying yes. So her whole focus was on communicating her message to me rather than learning the language. And it's interesting. I think you need to do both. I mean, communication is interesting, but you need to be noticing, practicing and activating the language as it comes into you. And Isabella was not doing that at all. Hands, you know, partly my fault, I guess, because I should have maybe pushed her and taught mm. her more learning strategies. Mm -hmm. um, but I think as a trait of students who are maybe not that successful, that's something to avoid. Interesting. So basically, um, is it Isabel, right? Isabel? Isabella. Isabella, Isabella yeah. is like the opposite of Victor, really. Yes. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, Keith, that's fantastic. Thank you for giving us some of your insights. And I was going to ask also, well, we know where to find you, right? Basically, IELTS Speaking Success on YouTube and IELTSSpeakingSuccess.com, is it? Your yeah, website? there's the website as well, IELTSSpeakingSuccess.com. Um, you can go in there and on the on the front page, there's a, a book, um, How to Avoid the Top Most Common Mistakes that I've Seen as an IELTS Examiner. Ooh. Ooh. And I've seen a lot of, I've done, I totted it up the other day. I've done over 2,000 IELTS tests. Wow. And this is like a compilation of the most common mistakes people make and how to avoid them. Is a common mistake then? little sneak, sneak preview from the book if if you would be so kind of course i can um well one of the common mistakes is memorizing answers yeah that's one of the the top ones um another one is an interesting one it's maybe hard to say it's a mistake but it's letting nerves control your test mm. um because the nerves that go on uh, are, are huge and i see so many candidates who are really good um, letting nerves take control of them and then they just make a mess of the test. So how can you um, deal with nerves though? Because sometimes when you feel nervous, sometimes there's nothing you can do. Like it kind of paralyzes you. That's right. I think it's in the preparation. I mm -hmm. think you need to work on nerves in the preparation before <laughs> the test. Hello, you've knocked over your mic again. <laughs> <laughs> and I completely knocked it over yet. Sorry. I was reaching to grab something and boom. Oof. Anyway, as long as it wasn't the cup of tea everywhere. No, 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 that's all right. So, sorry, um, what was what was it that you were saying as I knocked it, over the microphone? It's it's in the preparation, right? So, one of the strategies I teach is visualization, which is a well known strategy. You know, like for top level football players or mm -hmm. sports people, mm -hmm. is you go through what's going to happen in your head, um, but you do it in a positive way many, 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 many times, mm. and, and you train doing that. So you you train your mind to actually see yourself going into the test, see yourself smiling, see yourself giving the answer you want to give and walking out successfully. And then see yourself being handed a shiny uh, IELTS certificate with a big nine on the top. Exactly. A big gold leaf certificate in some ceremony. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I mean, in, in some ways, I know that's a bit mystic, uh, the kind of the positive thinking thing. But mm. the other thing is, actually, we mentioned and you brought it up in the um, the other interview, mm -hmm. is is practice doing the IELTS mock test. Yeah. Because many students have actually never done a mock test. They just do lots of individual practice. And they're suddenly not prepared, A, to focus for 
14 minutes yeah and b to you know keep going and have the stamina to survive 40 minutes yeah um and so doing those practice mock tests is actually a, a huge help. I think it really does get you ready for it as well. And dealing with exam the clock. conditions. Yeah, exam conditions with the clock running. It's very important. Yes, yes, yes. absolutely. Yes, and record yourself because that really forces you to, uh, to perform properly. And it also gets you used to being recorded because they will switch on a recorder in the exam. They will. And they do, yes. So your book, uh, Avoid the 10 Most Common Mistakes in IELTS Speaking, there on your website, IELTS yeah, Speaking Success. Yeah, go check it out. Um, yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, Keith, for, um, being on the podcast. It's very nice to speak to you. Not at all. Thank you, Luke. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. It's great to chat to you again and yeah. to, um, have a chance to speak to your listeners as well. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I'll just say bye-bye then for now. Bye-bye. Brilliant. Take care. Cheers. Bye-bye. bye-bye. So there you go, folks. That was my conversation with Keith O'Hare from IELTSSpeakingSuccess.com. All right, then. So what's up with you then? What's going on? I strongly suspect that you understood nearly all of that. Am I right? I mean, I think that you probably understood nearly the entire conversation. I have a sneaking suspicion that this conversation was dead easy for all of you, right? I think so. I think it's just because both Keith and I are English teachers, and so we naturally speak clearly after nearly 50 combined years of English teaching between us. Also, because we're used to presenting on a podcast or on YouTube, uh, we are also used to talking as if there's an audience listening. And also because this wasn't one of those conversations where my guest and I are struggling to say what we want to say about a topic without interrupting each other too much, which is usually what happens when I'm with my brother or my friends on the podcast. For example, the episode, the recent episode with James, which was called Five Quintessentially English Things, there's a lot of kind of interruption and slightly what's the word for it? Slightly heated uh, conversation in that episode, but uh, none of that in this conversation with Keith. So if this episode was easier to listen to than normal, it's probably because there were fewer things getting in the way and you were able to focus only on the English being spoken. And if it was at all easy to understand, I think it's a great sign that your listening is improving all the time, especially with plenty of practice like you get on this podcast. I also noticed plenty of nice chunks of vocabulary and other bits and pieces in English that I think were worth noticing. And so I may do a premium episode about this some point soon. But right now, all that remains to be said is that I will speak to you soon. But until then, goodbye. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.